When you pray, do you give God a shopping list of things that you'd like? Or is your focus purely on physical needs? You know, like, well, help my friend Sue recover from surgery or, or Tom to find a job. Well, certainly, you know, these things aren't wrong to pray for. We're to pray for everything. But anytime we're interceding for others, it is a good thing. But according to Dr. J. Vernon McGee, we can see a meaningful model of how we can pray for others in the Apostle Paul's example when he prayed for the Ephesians. It's a prayer that goes deeper. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz. And today we begin in Ephesians 1 at verse 17. So find your place in God's Word and let's welcome Greg Harris, who's here to share something new from the Bible bus. So Greg, what's happening around the Through the Bible world today? Something wonderful is happening. In fact, every day, wonderful things are happening, not because of us, but because we are holding out the Word of God. We're flinging the seed of the Word of God and the systematic teaching of it around the world. And that is our passion so that that receptive soil that Jesus talked about can be there when the seed of the Word of God lands. Yep. And we continue to find in that analogy smaller and smaller fields with which to plant and fling the seed. Yes. And what's interesting about the the word smaller is it depends how we look at it because, and I know you articulate this very well, and I'm going to let you answer the question. Steve, uh, you've been telling us through the Bibles in 200 languages, and now today we're announcing that we have now crossed the threshold of 250. Yeah. Why go to all that trouble for those extra 50 languages, Steve Schwetz? Well, Greg, <laughs> for several reasons. Number one is, and again, I've said this several times, you got to have an appreciation for um, being uh, speaking more than one language. Or, yes. or if you only speak one language and you've ever been to a foreign country where they're not speaking English, you immediately gravitate to somebody, even if they're doing it badly with a heavy accent, someone speaking English, because that's what you know. If you're bilingual and maybe Spanish was your first language, you immediately have a special place in your heart and you tune into somebody who's speaking that language. And the same is true for all these different languages. Just imagine what you're not in one of these major languages where where millions and or billions of people speak that language and suddenly they're speaking it on a medium that they have never even heard that language spoken before. Just think about how they're going to gravitate towards that. And we're seeing that fruit. We're seeing people that are not hungry for the Word of God. They may be hungry for whatever, MRU or whatever the latest language is that we're doing, That this sub-tribal language where there's only a few million people. And we're finding that we're getting tremendous response because we're in those sub-languages. This is something that most ministries do not commit to do because it's difficult to do. It's difficult. It's complicated. It's expensive. uh, It's a lot of work. Um, But we have a passion and a calling to get the whole word to the whole world. And so, Steve, for us to cross the threshold of 250 languages, we never want to commit what Dr. McGee calls the sin of statistics. Right. And we discuss this a lot at the leadership level. We're not living off of numbers, but those when 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 you understand what you just explained, that every new language in these quote-unquote smaller language groups, and maybe half a million people, it may be 10 million people, yeah, yeah. Um, we are now entering a, a place of ministry where there is much less competition, yes. and people are thrilled and... And they're honored that we took the trouble to put this message in their language. And they're going to say, I want to listen. Somebody cared enough to speak my language. Yeah. And that's really the message that's conveyed by getting through the Bible into that language. God cares and speaks my language. Absolutely. And so we're not going to stop as God allows us. We want to keep growing, not so we can brag about numbers, but so that we can reach more 
and more people in their heart language. Yeah, and the thing that we talk about so much that we need more than anything else is prayer. Yes. This is a very complicated process that we got to go through to make sure that we we partner with the right people, that we're going into the right languages that the Lord is calling us to. So if you could pray for us, if you're not already on the World Prayer Team, we we try to get you on the on the prayer team by going to ttb.org forward slash pray. Get that daily email. We think it'll broaden your horizon, just uh, your world view in terms of all of the different languages and all the ministry that's going on with through the Bible. With that, Greg, would you pray for us and for our continued wisdom and direction as yes. we go out? Father, first we rejoice and we give you thanks and praise that you have allowed us to now bring the Word of God systematically in more than 250 languages around the world. And Lord, uh, we know that it's always your work and we, we are not proud in any sense, but we want to, we want to get more languages out there. And so I pray that you would help us have discernment, send us to the right people, provide the resources, and thank you for this amazing listening family that has made it possible for us to be part of this great mission to take your whole word to the whole world. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee with our study of Ephesians 1 on Through the Bible. Now we come back today to the prayer of Paul. And you notice that last time, the thing that we emphasized was that good news caused Paul to pray. And by the way, we never think really of Paul as being an outstanding example of a man of prayer, do we? Well, when we think of a great missionary of the cross, well, we'd certainly put Paul at the top of the list. And when we want an example of a great apostle, we couldn't find any greater than Paul. And when you want one of the great preachers of the church, in fact, you couldn't get a list of ten of the greatest preachers of the church without putting Paul as number one. And he was one of the greatest teachers. The Lord Jesus was the greatest. And it said, never man taught as this man taught. Well, Paul certainly followed in that tradition. And he's an example of a good pastor, by the way, as we see him in Ephesus, according to Dr. Luke, weeping with the believers there and how they loved him. I always judge a church by the way that they love their pastor and especially their ex-pastor. That tells you something about the folk, especially if he stood for the Word of God. And today we need to learn to judge folk by their attitude really toward the Word of God, not how big the Bible is that they put under their arm. Now, when you think of anyone excelling in any field of service in the early church, Paul the Apostle must be up toward the top. But how about a representative of a great man in prayer? Would you put Paul in that list? Well, Moses, a great intercessor on top of the mountain, was a great man of prayer. We think of him as that. And certainly David, who went before God in dire circumstance because of his awful sin, and he made confession. And Elijah, as he stood alone before a rebuilt altar, drenched with water on a mountaintop. And then there was Daniel, who reveals a man of prayers. He opened his window toward Jerusalem before a hostile power. And the Lord Jesus certainly is a marvelous example to us of prayer, so much so that the apostles came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. 
But you know, Paul was a great man of prayer. When I was teaching Bible in the Institute here in Southern California in downtown Los Angeles, I always had the students, when we got to the epistles of Paul, to make a list of the prayer list of the Apostle Paul. Every time he said he was praying for somebody to put it down. And lo and behold, I've had student after student come up and said, my, I didn't know Paul had such a prayer list. Didn't know he prayed for so many people. Well, he was a great man of prayer. And here now we have the example. In fact, there are two prayers of Paul that are here. And we have the one now, having set before us the church as the body of Christ, it just caused him to drop to his knees and begin to pray. And then we're going to find again that when we get to the end of chapter 3, another great prayer of the Apostle Paul. Two right here in the epistle to the Ephesians. Now, that's a mark, by the way, of a child of God. You know, one of the ways you can tell whether a man is a child of God or not is because of his prayer life. How much does he feel a dependence upon God? And if he feels that dependence upon God, he's going to God in prayer for himself. And he'll also go to God in prayer as intercession for others. Well, that to me is a pretty good indication. You remember that when Ananias, yonder in the city of Damascus, he was disturbed when the angel wanted him to go over to Saul of Tarsus. And he put up an objection. He said, well, that man persecuted the church. And now the angel says, behold, he prayeth. And that was a pretty good indication that something had happened to the apostle Paul. Now, in this great prayer here, he first of all gives thanks to God. And then there is a prayer here. I consider it a threefold prayer, some a twofold prayer, but that's beside the point because the important thing is here that he says, first of all, that the God, this is verse 17 now, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, the thing that I'd call attention to here is that this man not only had a motive in prayer, which was good news, but he's not praying for material things, but he's praying here for spiritual blessings. And these spiritual blessings are very important. And the fact of the matter is they're all important. He says, I cease not to give thanks for you. The Ephesians were on his prayer list, and I guess all these churches were making mention of you in my prayers. And that means he called them by name. I was with a great preacher one day, and some folk came up and spoke to us and shook hands. And one of the men that came up said to this preacher, said, I'm praying for you. And this preacher, I never shall forget, he said to him, well, thank you very much, but do you mention me by name? <laughs> he says, because I wouldn't want the Lord to get me mixed up with somebody else. Well, call them by name friends, when you pray for him to the Lord. And somebody says, well, he already knows. Well, just make sure that the Lord knows. Pray for folk by name. He says, I make mention of you in my prayers. And that means he called the names. Now, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you 
the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, Paul, having revealed here that the church is the body of Christ and that God the Father planned it, God the Son paid for it, God the Holy Spirit protects it, he recognized that these folk here wouldn't be able to understand that unless the Spirit of God was there to be the teacher and there to open up the Word of God. And only the Spirit of God can do that. Dr. Ironside tells the story of when he apparently lived here in Southern California as a young man, and he wanted to go out and to preach the Word, and he was doing that. And so there was a wonderful man of God that had come over from North Ireland to Southern California because of what they would call in that day, galloping consumption. But he came out to this area apparently too late, and you wouldn't want to come today with all the smog, but nevertheless, in that day, it was different. And he stayed in a little tent out back of the home of Dr. Ironside's parents. And this man was a great man of God, and one who had been used of God in teaching the Word. And Dr. Ironside went out and would sit with him, and he would open up the Scripture in such a way that Dr. Ironside said he'd never heard of anything like that before. So one day he asked him, he said, where did you learn that? This man said, well, I didn't get them by going to seminary because I never went to seminary, and I never got them by going to college, and I never got them by actually being taught by someone. But he says, I learned these things on my knees, on the mud floor of a little sod cottage in the north of Ireland. There with my open Bible before me, I used to kneel for hours at a time and ask the Spirit of God to reveal Christ to my soul and open the Word to my heart. And he taught me more on my knees on that mud floor than I ever could have learned in all the seminaries or colleges in the world. And I happen to know, having known Dr. Ironside, that he practiced that in his ministry. I remember when he was teaching us the Song of Solomon, he said he never was satisfied with what he found in the commentaries, and he just got down on his knees and asked God to reveal to him the message of that book. And he has a book on it, and I will present the Song of Solomon when we get to it. And I'm going to give you, very frankly, his interpretation of it, because it's the only one that's ever satisfied my own heart. And what a wonderful, glorious thing it is to have the Spirit of God to be the one to be our teacher, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, he may give you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And how will that take place? Well, it'll take place by the Spirit of God being our teacher. And, oh, that you and I might learn that, that the Spirit of God is the only one that can open our eyes. Notice verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding, being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling, what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Now, the eyes of your heart being enlightened, and you'll notice here that this is quite remarkable, the eyes of your heart, not the eyes of your mind, 
that your heart might understand. You see that you may be very brilliant intellectually, but that does not guarantee that you can understand spiritual truth. Because I have not seen, neither ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. And only the Spirit of God can teach them to you. Now, I have no understanding of music whatsoever. I can't sing. I can't carry a tune. I recognize very few tunes. I do not know what a pitch is. That's a foreign field to me. Now, I ask a musician. In fact, I had a music director one time, and he made the statement publicly. He says, I can teach anybody to sing. I stood up immediately, and I said, Brother, you've got a pupil. Nobody's ever been able to teach me to sing. So, all right, the congregation laughed, and we made an engagement. And every Thursday afternoon, I met with him for a month. At the end of the month, he gave up. He said, you know, I just really believe you were right. You'd never be able to learn music. I said, that's true. I said, how could I ever learn? He said, the only way in the world would be for you to be born again. <laughs> what he meant was, I'd have to be born another person. Now, my friend, as far as spiritual knowledge is concerned, no person can understand it. I have not seen, ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. And it's only as you and I are willing for the Spirit of God to teach it. I've told many times about that dear little lady up there in Sherman, Texas, that when I went up to preach there, why, they asked me to speak to her. Everybody called her Grandma. She's way up in years, couldn't read nor write. And I started out by trying to explain to her John 14. I thought I'd take something simple for Grandma. After all, she couldn't read or write. She wasn't smart like I was. I was a first-year seminary student, and I had answered everything at that time. And she listened to me for about five minutes. Then she said to me, young man, did you ever notice that? Well, I hadn't noticed it. I'll be honest with you. And I couldn't understand how she noticed it. She couldn't read nor write. She knew things about John 14 I've never read in any commentary. And no Bible teacher ever taught those to me. You know how she did? The eyes of her understanding were open by the Spirit of God. Oh, my friend, the Spirit of God wants to teach us. And one of the reasons that God's people are not in the Word of God today is because they're not willing for the Spirit of God to teach them. They have to listen to a poor preacher like me, or they have to go to some home Bible class. Why don't you let the Spirit of God teach you, Christian friend? When you read a passage of Scripture and you say, I don't understand that. I read that. I have people say that. I read that many times, and I never saw that in it. Well, when you didn't get anything out of it, you get to a barren place in Scripture, and I get there many times, even today. Just get down on your knees, sir. Just turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I missed the point, and you will have to teach me, and he'll teach you. Then that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, it's not our inheritance here in him but it's his inheritance in us. Now, I think the illustration would be the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan belonged to God, and he gave the children of Israel possession of it. Now, by and by, he's going to take possession of this universe that you and I live in, and through his saints, we're going to reign with him. <laughs> and I've just wondered about that fact. That's an area I've just never been able to penetrate. And again, the Spirit of God 
needs to make this real to us. He has an inheritance in us today. And we're tied in, as the children of Israel, we're tied in with that land. We're going to rule someday. And then notice there is another petition here. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? And believe me, this is power that he's talking about here. And friends, I mean power. Let me just take a moment for that and look at this power that we're talking about here. It is power that, first of all, notice, and I'll give you my translation of it. What is the exceeding, the intense greatness of his power? And this is dunamis power, dynamite power, to usward who believe according to the working, and that working is energizing of the strength of his might, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him up. That is, in the act of raising him from the dead. Now, friends, that's power, to raise Christ from the dead. Not only that, but the power that set him on his right hand. That's ascension power. And we don't make much of the ascension in our churches today. That is, most of us that belong to Bible churches. For some reason, we emphasize Christmas and Easter, but we seem to forget everything after that. Have you ever stopped to think of the power that took him back to the right hand of God? That, my friend, is power. We're beginning to see a little of it. Have you ever stopped to think of the power that it takes to lift a missile off of the base down yonder in Florida and take it out yonder into space? Think of the power, the physical power that it took to take men to the moon and bring them back. That is power. Why, my friend, if it took that kind of power to travel horizontally on this earth today, you'd see a Volkswagen coming down the highway with one of these great big gas trucks back of it. It would take that much power to keep it going. But it was that power that took him back. And that they might not only know that power, Paul says that I might know him in the power of his resurrection, but that I might have it working in me. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that's named not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he's going to put all things under his feet and gave him now to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And Paul concludes on this tremendous high note here that the church is the body of Christ, and he is the head of the church, and someday everything is going to be under him. And at the present time, the only thing that is under him is the church. And I believe that is the true church. Now, there's many organized groups down here today that are not listening to the Lord Jesus. I can tell you that. And it's a paralyzed church. You see, the most tragic thing in the world is to see some dear, especially child of God, lying on a bed helpless because the brain has been detached from the body. Well, I've been in many churches that are like that, haven't you? where actually the church is detached. And there are many individual Christians today that are detached from the head. My friend, he is the head of the body. And he says, if you love me, 
You're going to keep my commandments. In other words, I wiggle this little finger of mine, which I'm doing right now. You're by myself in the studio. I'm wiggling it. You know why? Because the head up here has got charge of that. And I tell you, when he wants you to wiggle down here, you're going to wiggle or else you're not attached to him. Oh, how important this is in these days in which we live. For as the body is one, hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many, one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and all made to drink into one Spirit. And He is the head of the body. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. If you'd like to join a local church, and you should want to do that, and you're not sure what you should look for, we got some resources that can help you. Go to ttb.org forward slash acts. There you're going to find a link to download Dr. McGee's statement called, What is the Mark of a Good Church? If we can help you find that helpful list, call 1-800-65-BIBLE. I'm Steve Sweats, and I'll meet you back here next time. God bless you today as you walk with Him in His Word. Through the Bible exists to take God's whole word to the whole world. And we invite you to stand with us with your faithful prayer and financial support. Where will God's word go today?